Welcome, dear listener, to another pulse-pounding installment of Chilling Suspense. I am, as always, your humble host, Chester Legree. And I'm Margot McMillan, humble co-host, ready to dive into another tale of ghostly apparitions, ravenous spirits, and white-knuckled action. Yes, that's right. I'm joined once again by Margot from the Barney Soap Company Drama Hour to present our ongoing tale of The Great Ghost. And I'm sure the listeners at home are just as thrilled as I am. Oh, me too. Ever since the manager showed me the script for episode 7, I've been just... Wait, there are seven episodes of this gar... uh, gar... gar... gargantuan epic? Oh, more than seven. Episode 7 is particularly enthralling, though. Have, haven't you read the scripts? <laughs> uh, um, well, uh, I'm sure management has just been too busy to forward them to me. B- besides, I'm a master of the cold read. Why, I walked into an audition of Le Misanthrope once. That's The Misanthrope by Moliere. Never having spoken one word of French, and the director told me that I was, and I quote... A unique approach to the role. Wow, that's... That's impressive, Chester. Uh, which role did you get? Well, uh, I I didn't get the role. Uh, Stylistic differences. I'm sure it was probably some conflict with the producer. Show business, you know. Ah. So, uh, shall we begin? Last time on The Great Ghost... We left our hero shaken to his very core, having just narrowly escaped the spectral necromancer Marcy and her monstrous pet. But not before losing one of his closest allies, a geist by the name of Father Patrick. His career in ruins, he set off for Cane Road Cemetery in the hopes of settling things with Marcy once and for all. Which is where we join our spectral sentinel now, amidst stone and bone. Preparing for the fight of his life. It was almost evening by the time I stood before the black iron gates of the cemetery. Passing down the gravel path, the place would have looked still and silent to anyone else. To me... It was always as loud as any city street, crowded full of spirits young and old. As I walked, I had a familiar greeting from those I'd helped out. Once a rare shouted curse from someone I'd done in. I brushed past them without stopping, making my way all the way to the back, toward the looming stone silhouette that cut the late afternoon sky. The War Memorial the place where my friends lay, though not at rest. I could hear them cursing before I had even rounded the bend. Fighting a smile, I pulled up my bandage. There they were, my old platoon buddies, Bill, Georgie, and Walt. Thankfully, they'd died on American soil, not in Europe. It was nice having them around. They spotted me as I approached, and Bill and Georgie launched into teasing pantomime making a show of straightening up like schoolboys caught playing hooky. Look sharp, boys! Father Martin's a-coming! 
and he's a real deal bona fide man of God. Bill said, passing the sign of the cross over himself clumsily with his eyes raised piously toward the heavens. May the Lord have mercy on our sinner's souls, Georgie chimed in with a laugh, lounging back against the side of the memorial. So, how's living? First off, shut up, William, I answered. Bill made a noise of wounded protest, muttering something about me sounding like his mother, and Georgie laughed again. Second, living's not so great, George. I found myself smiling a little despite everything. Looks like I gotta skip town. Just coming by to say my farewells. Oh, alright. You finally got yourself on the wrong side of the mob, huh, buddy? Bill said. See, that's why I told you to retire your uniform. War's over, buddy. You're lucky you got out with your life. Hell, if I was in your position, I'd have settled down with a nice girl. Had myself a couple of descendants, racked up some debt. Well, Bill, you're not in my position, and it's not the mob. It's something else. Something to do with... France, I said, my voice quieting unconsciously. A lot happened in France, Georgie commented, folding his hands behind his head. You're gonna have to be a little more specific than that. I'm talking about that mission in France. The mission, I said meaningfully, gesturing to my eye and to the hidden ruin of my ear. Their easy humor gave way to quiet solemnity. We might have stopped it before it was done. But some sort of monster still came out of it. And the one who made it has been hanging around as a spirit. She and her people are after me. Want to use me as some experiment or ritual or something. Something that's supposed to make the beast complete. So I'm leaving town before they can catch me. Hmm. Is that what you do now? You run when things get hard? Martin? Walt chimed in, putting too much emphasis on my name. I scowled at him. He met my eyes with a cool, unflinching stare. Did you run when things got tough during the war? Just abandon us? Abandon our trench? No. You stood your ground. We stood our ground. We held the line. I'd known Walt would be the toughest to deal with. He'd always been a bastard when it came to what he thought was right and wrong. Best man anyone could ask to fight and die with, and loyal to the grave. But a bastard nonetheless. I don't have an army behind me this time. You're dead. It's just me out there, I said too loud. Even sitting with his back flat against the face of the monument, he still looked like a soldier. Shoulders squared and chin raised. Looking at him was making the memories creep in. I had to look away. I don't have an army this time, Walt, I repeated, trying to give the words the finality I needed from them. Well, maybe you need one, Walt said, perfectly matter-of-fact. I never got the chance to argue as a familiar voice behind me added, That or a few good friends... I turned, startled. The relief hit me like a brick. Danny! I wasn't sure what Marcy had done to you. 
Danny grinned up at me, squinting against the dying light behind me. Just lost my focus for a while, but I'm back and ready for payback, he said, looking determined. This'll be dangerous. Marcy has a lot of control over her powers for a spirit as new as she is, I said, concerned. And that thing she made, that beast, does something to ghosts, eats them, maybe. I can't ask you to risk what you have left. Eh, death was getting boring anyway, Georgie joked. Not much of a nightlife in a cemetery, if you can believe it. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good to get back in action, Bill chimed in. Just like the old days, the boys back in business, saving lives and, uh, (laughs) taking lives. We're enlisted voluntarily, Walt finished cutting Bill off with a brisk wave. I turned back to Danny. He nodded. Okay, Danny, you watch the church. I don't know if you saw her before she got you back in the basement, but keep an eye out for a spirit. Tall, thin, auburn hair. If you see her coming, tell her where I am. And watch out for her pet monster. What's this monster look like? Trust me, you'll know it when you see it. Just don't get too close. It's got a long reach, I warned. Longer than you'd think. What about us? Walt asked, rising to his feet. The rest of us will stay here. Start preparing a pitch, come up with a plan, try and recruit as many locals to our cause as you can. Let's go to war, boys. The sun set as I strategized with my comrades, applying all the tactics and techniques I had learned from the war and more. Every trick I had left in my trunk was about to greet Marcy and her monster. It was less than an hour to midnight when two cars pulled up. We watched as eight men got out, four from each. Each was crisply dressed in a black three-piece suit, vests buttoned and ties neat. Some wore bowlers, others trench coats, and they carried an assortment of weapons. Most had rifles and shotguns, while others held pistols, but they all moved into the cemetery as one. I knew they were on the prowl for me. It seemed Marcy had more resources than I had anticipated. More resources than I had, at least, even if she was the dead one. They stalked through the cemetery in pairs combing the gaps between the tombstones. What they didn't know was that my old war buddies and I weren't just soldiers. We had been raiders. It had been our job to cross no man's land undetected and clear out the enemy trench. We'd excelled at getting close and quiet, doing our work in the dark. And as it turned out, that's something you only get better at as a ghost. A pair paused by a grave marker, one turning to the other to point out the unsheathed knife that had been placed atop it. They had just enough time to begin to speculate about why it was there before I gave Bill ten seconds of my life. In a flash, the knife was up, dragging across the first man's throat and jamming into the space beneath the second man's chin. It was quick and quiet no sound but the gurgle of the dying men. I tried to catch my breath after bringing Bill forward. 
Only 10 seconds, and my heart was already pounding, my lungs burning. I made my way through the cemetery, darting from tombstone to tombstone, until I reached the second pair. I slipped behind the first, twisting my dagger into his back before he could respond. But it wasn't fast enough. His partner noticed his absence. As he turned to look, I kicked him square in the chest, hoping to knock the wind out of him at the very least, preventing him from screaming. Instead, I sent him backwards into an open grave, tumbling so hard his head hit the tombstone before he fell. For a fraction of a second, I thought it was done. And then the goon's gun went off, a wild shot, but still a problem. Between the sound and the muzzle flash, I didn't even have a chance to hide before the other four were turning to look. Who's there? I heard one say. Oh my god, it's the spirit of the psalm! Another cried, readying his rifle. I turned to see Georgie and Walt. Get ready. I can only give each of you six seconds, so don't waste them. They rushed towards the goons as I slipped behind the grave marker and steeled myself for what I was about to do. Not a moment too soon, either. A bullet hit the stone behind me as I vanished from sight. I heard Georgie and Walt shout as they fell into position and pushed, straining myself. My vision swam. The sound of gunfire faded to a high-pitched ringing in my ears. I felt my head sag, and for a moment, I blacked out. When I came back to myself, the cemetery was silent. Peering past the edge of my cover, I counted them. Four goons, four bodies. As I tried to steady myself, a poker-hot thread of pain flared in my upper arm. Blood and a new hole in my jacket. I either hadn't been quick or well-hidden enough, a stray bullet had found me, and in the adrenaline of the moment I hadn't felt it. I rose to my feet, pressing my hand over the wound to stend the bleeding. My friends approached, cheerful and casual. Hey, that wasn't so bad, Bill said, smiling. Hardly worth the dramatics, Martin. Yeah, we should have just done it this way during the war. Would have been a lot less stressful not worrying about bleeding out, Georgie added. Really? I've had enough stress from your little crew to last me an afterlife, a voice called. I knew that voice by now. I already knew what I was going to see when I lifted my eyes to look past my friends. Marcy. The socket of her left eye had twisted slightly, pulling at the skin of her face and leaving a strange, yawning gap between the eye and the place it was meant to sit. Watching her blink was a nightmare. But next to her stood the true nightmare. Her beast, draped in a new coat, and bandaged with fabric stained not in pinks and yellows, but eerie, unnatural blacks and greys. I couldn't tell if her hands were bandaged. They'd returned to their place in her pockets. Through gaps in the bandages along her face, I could still see it. Those same wide eyes and vacant, haunting smile. Sorry, Mr. Ward, but this is a private dispute, Marcy said. 
As she turned to my friends, I saw her focus shift and sharpen as she began to speak those devilish words. I hadn't been ready when she took Father Patrick. I was ready this time. Now! I cried out. Two spirits, relative strangers, leapt out from the nearby graves and grasped at her. Her loss of focus was jarring, far more extreme than I had witnessed in the church. She's taken care of for now, I said, beelining towards the mausoleum where I had hidden my weapons. What was that thing? How are we supposed to deal with that? Bill questioned, gesturing at the beast as he was trailing after me. I watched it for a moment. It wavered strangely, clearly sensing the spirits that surrounded it on all sides, uncertain which way to lunge. Recovering my shotgun from within the crypt, I looked at him. I've got some ideas, I said. With her immobilized and Marcy too occupied to direct her, the shots hit her easily, impacting one after another. Blood, too thick and dark to be human, sprayed onto the nearby gravestones. As the fifth slug hit her, she finally tottered and fell. I watched intently as her souls began to crinkle and convulse, drawing into themselves. And then the blood, that strange, viscous fluid, began to float up from her wound as if untethered from gravity. She keeled upwards impossibly, like a fall in reverse planting her feet on the ground, her hands still deep in her pockets. Nice plan, said Georgie, clearly annoyed. This is still part of the plan, I assured him as she began to glow. The beast within the beast had begun to rise, and the glow in her mouth grew brighter. Run! I cried out as she pulled her hands from her pockets and began to charge at us, running on her hands and feet like an animal. The four of us zigged and zagged between tombstones, but she just plowed through them, overturning slabs of granite as heavy as a man without hesitation or effort. Just as she was about to grab Bill, he dove underground. Her attempt to follow him was halted by her physical form, and she just lay there, clawing at the earth between them, her souls grasping at him through the dirt. For some reason I could not explain, she began slamming her head into the ground, flicking her soles like whips. The bandage over her face began to saturate with black blood. You missed the appetizers, but here's the main course, Georgie yelled from the next row over, slapping his rear end mockingly. She jerked her head back up, her knotted bouquet of souls all hissing in unison, and began to pursue him. As she clambered up, Leaping towards him, a blaze of fire hit her from the side, sending her thudding into the stone side of a monument and down into an open grave. I approached the hole cautiously, looking down to see her tangled in the spool of barbed wire I'd placed at its bottom earlier. Let us out! We hunger! Feed us! Feed us! The souls cried out. The light from her mouth had become so bright it seemed to shine out from within the entire skull. I reached into my belt pouch and pulled out my something special. A surprise. Eat this, I said, pulling the pin on my grenade and tossing it, before throwing myself into the next row and hitting the dirt. 
The scream of the beast grew to a shrill cry, only to be drowned out, first by a deafening explosion, then by a mass of dirt as the grave walls gave way, burying her. Ears still ringing, I approached, and together we stood over the sunken hole. Is she dead? Walt asked. No, but she's dead enough, I said, looking back to see Marcy and my two volunteers start to fade away together. They'd been locked in conflict too long, had lost too much energy. Looks like we got you out of another one, Marty. Can, can I call you Marty? Bill said, grinning. Yep, I guess you did. For now. Guess I'll be sticking around, I said, a slight smile on my face. And no, you can't call me Marty. Eh, sure thing, Marty, Bill said cheerfully. From there, it was all clean up. Bill stood over me as I leveled the soil over the collapsed grave, commenting on my progress like a shift manager until Georgie forced him to take over lookout. The police would be coming at any moment. Gunfire was a sure way to draw them. It was only a matter of when. When Georgie opened his mouth, I expected a joke, a jibe. Hey, don't get yourself killed, okay? He said instead, and I stared at him. It's already too crowded with assholes here. He laughed as I cursed at him. The night had been long. By the time I arrived back at the church rectory, I felt as though my head had only just hit the pillow before Father Flatterly woke me. Get up, he said sternly, and follow me. I dressed in a stupor, pulling on my robes and bandages as we walked, dragged from my bed in every way but the physical. Our footsteps echoed as we passed through the empty hall of the church to his small office. In his chair sat another man of the cloth, with an amaranth pink beretta and fascia. A bishop, I realized, only barely registering what that had to mean. He stood as I entered. This is Bishop Edwards, Father Ward, Father Flatterly began. He has been informed of your recent behavior. Ah, uh, hello, Martin. I wish our first meeting could have been a more pleasant occasion. But what Father Flatterly has brought to my attention demands immediate redress. Forgive me, then, if I uh, dispense with the pleasantries. I answered him with a silent stare. He blinked, clearly unnerved, glancing at Flatterly and then continuing. The uh, Catholic Church is meant to be a bastion of moral correctness. Every priest a shepherd, bringing the wayward of his flock into the light and warmth of the Lord. As men of God, we must lead by example, Edwards said in a simple, condescending tone. After much consideration, and with much regret, I cannot reconcile your behavior with that befitting a man of God. A life of servitude to the word and the cloth is, perhaps, not for you, Martin. I held back a bitter laugh. It couldn't have been all that much consideration and regret if Flatterly had gone to him only the day before. But then again, maybe Flatterly had been pushing to get rid of me for a while. Or maybe something deeper was at work. I'd never know. I was sure of that. It wasn't my problem anymore. 
He never said it, not aloud, but I knew what he was getting at. Go quiet or go in disgrace. And it honestly didn't come as much of a surprise. After everything I had done, everything I continued to do, I knew my days with the church had to be numbered. I was lost in thought, considering my options while pretending to nod repentantly along to Edward's droning words about salvation and forgiveness, when a third voice, neither Flatterly nor Edward's, sent a chill down my spine. Marcy. You couldn't come along quietly, could you? Had to kill my men? Bury my beast? Well, I can break your things, too. She hissed in my ear. Suddenly, the quietly triumphant expression Flatterly was wearing went slack, blank for a moment before his eyes narrowed, and a too familiar sly smile crossed his lips. My stomach sank. I wasn't fast enough to stop her. Marcy used him, puppeteering him into action with startling speed, and Father Flatterly's frail body wasn't unsteady or unsure as he grabbed a gilt letter opener from the desk and jammed it into the bishop's throat. The blood that sprayed across my face as Flatterly's hand pulled the letter opener free was hot. The next few moments seemed to happen as if in slow motion. The bishop stumbled, shocked into croaking silence as he pressed a hand to his neck. The desk rocked as he collided with it, the contents of its cluttered surface clattering to the floor. As he turned, falling to his knees, blood streaming from between his fingers. To look at Flatterly with betrayal, the eyes of that elderly priest stared right past him and into my own. Marcy smiled at me with his face. She was about to bring the thin blade down again into the bishop's back when my sense of paralysis broke. I lunged, grabbing those bony wrists. Take your penance, Father Ward, Marcy mocked in a voice too steady and sly to be Flatterly's. Stop this, Marcy, I screamed. She just laughed. <laughs> What will you do now? I'm going to haunt you forever, she giggled. Something came over me. While I stood there, holding the old man's wrists, my palms began to grow hot, and only grew hotter as a feeling of having one's hands pressed to an engine casing crept through me, deep vibrations buzzing in my very bones, and tingling down the nerves and tendons of my arms. A look of panic crossed Father Flatterly's face as I gripped something deep in him and pulled. He fell to the floor, limp and unresponsive. I pulled up the bandage over my eye to see Marcy before me. How did you do that? She screamed, clearly shocked and outraged. No matter can't stop me. There are other people I can hurt. What about that little waitress of yours, hmm? Stay away from her, I shouted, trying to convey the hatred I felt, the threat I was trying to communicate in only four words. Or what? She asked. She wasn't giving an inch, I realized. 
She knew the place of power she stood in, knew all the advantages she had over me. Unsure of what to do, my mind raced. An idea came to me. I couldn't remember all of the words she'd used to stab into spirits. But I remembered one. The short one. The dangerous one. The one she'd used on Father Patrick. I dug deep. The buzzing returned, but this time, I could feel it spreading through me, across my whole body. Marcy looked horrified, stumbling backwards with wide eyes. Wait. Ward, wait! She pleaded, reaching out a hand for mercy. I had none. I spoke the sharp word. I pushed it up like bile, grimacing through the pain as it sliced my throat and my tongue, tumbling out of my mouth and splitting my lip as a final token. The last thing I saw before I began to choke on my own blood, before the world began spinning, was Marcy's soul being shredded into nothing. Well, that certainly was a harrowing ordeal for Father Martin. But I'm sure he's fine now. Probably no reason to even read the rest of those chapters. And miss the best parts? Listeners, if you think this has been exciting, you're in for so much more. <sighs> of course. Knowing my luck, we'll be reading Great Ghost until I'm dead. That's the spirit, Chester. Well, until next time, listeners, this has been Chester Legree saying- Wait, wait a second. Chester- don't you think we should maybe respond to some of our fan mail before we go? We have fan mail? Um, y yes? <laughs> oh, uh, of course, yes. Yes, by all means, please, do go ahead. I'll just round mine up while you, uh, uh while you do uh, that. I, I think the manager should have given you your stack. And, and, you know, we really appreciate everyone who takes the time to write in. It means the world to us, so please keep it up. Let's see. Oh, this one here wants to congratulate me, us both on the recent growth of the show and says, It's so nice to hear Margot on more shows. Big fan of the Varney Soap Company Drama Hour, and now starting to become a fan of Chilling Suspense, too. Well, thank you so much, Daniela, age 31. That means a lot to me, and I'm so glad to hear that you're enjoying both shows. And here's one from Ben at the Discord Club, who says, I need 60 more years of great ghost storylines. <laughs> ben, I don't know if we've got quite 60 years worth, but there certainly is plenty more in store, so keep tuning in. Oh, and Amelia here was just so nice with her letter. Margot is my new favorite host. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Doesn't that just warm your heart? <laughs> Did you find anything, Chester? <laughs> Here we go. Well, uh, while I might not have the quantity Margot seems to have, I certainly have quality. Look at this envelope. And typed, no less. Let's see. Ah. Oh, and they use my full name, too. Such respect. Such reverence. This is the sort of thing that really touches your heart as an artist. 
Uh, what does it say? I'll, I'll get to that, Marco. <clears throat> Dear Chester Archibald Legree, that's me. You are hereby summoned to city court to serve on a jury of your. <clears throat> I can only assume that my hapless assistant has mixed up my mail. I'm just going to go sort that out. Calmly. Excuse me. Uh-oh, of course. Well, that's... Uh, well. From both Chester and myself, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Chilling Suspense. We hope you're enjoying the adventures of the great ghost as much as we are. I've been Margot McMillan, reminding you that you're never truly alone if you keep skeletons in your closet. Or the closest cemetery, whichever works for you. Good night. <laughs>